everybody. It's Dr. Joe again. Thank you for tuning into the Moose Room. We've got a special episode today where we again have Angie Ford and Eric Mosel on today to talk about beef markets, what we saw in Kansas in, in August with the fire at the packing plant, and what we're seeing now with COVID-19. We're going to talk specifically about how the market's acting, why it's doing what it's doing, and potentially what these situations have exposed that's wrong with the market. Just in case you didn't get a chance to tune in last week, Angie Ford is a feedlot producer in southwest Minnesota, where she is also the Region 7 Director of the Minnesota State Cattlemen's Association, and on top of all that, she's a registered nurse. So we know she's busy, and I really appreciate her time uh, coming on the podcast and and willing to give that, uh, to give us some insight into what she's seeing. Eric doesn't need a whole lot of introduction, but Eric Mosel is an extension educator for the University of Minnesota up in the Grand Rapids area. He is our resident cow-calf and grazing expert. He's a cow-calf producer himself, so he has skin in the game, definitely knows what he's talking about. Eric is from Nebraska, so you'll hear him complain every once in a while about winter, but that's okay, we forgive him for it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. There's a lot of great information here today. Thank you again for listening. Welcome back to the Moose Room. We're joined again this week by Eric Mosel and Angie Ford. Completely different topic this week. We finished up our three-part grazing episode last week, and this week we are talking about something more current event style, talking about the beef market and some issues that we've been seeing lately. So if anybody doesn't know, back in August, we had a, a fire in a packing plant in Holcomb, Kansas, and some of the issues that we saw that we're seeing now, uh, we're, we're also seeing that. Angie, you probably have a pretty good idea uh, of what happened and kind of what happened to the market following this fire at one of our bigger packages in Kansas. So can you kind of give us a little overview on what happened there? Uh, sure. So it was back in the beginning of August, Tyson Beef down in Holcomb, Kansas had a fire and uh, it was a Relatively small fire. It was contained to a single room, but they did have some heat and smoke damage to their kill floor, so they had to shut down everything that they had in there. They had to get rid of because of smoke damage and had to start rebuilding it, obviously, right away. But after that, they claimed that because of the lack of capacity for killing cattle with one plant going down, that suddenly we had a huge, huge bottleneck and we couldn't um, expand our packing packing industry. So the cattle that typically were harvested there had to be diverted to other plants throughout the United States. Then other plants decided to add on Saturday and Sunday shifts to try to make up for what this one plant was currently killing. We kind of realized in a big hurry how vital that our packing plants really were. And we're seeing that again now today with the COVID scare because the packing plants are shutting down or slowing jack speeds down because of not only illness, but also because of people not coming into work because of the fear of getting it. I mean, the, the situation was very unfortunate unfortunate in Kansas, and it did expose some things as far as capacity and things like that. But the real reason we're talking about it, I think, is because of how how upset producers got with what happened with the market following that that fire, right? So Eric, can you kind of give us a brief summary of why producers were so upset? 
Well, I, you know, I mean, it, it was for a variety of reasons, but I think you can kind of base a lot of it on incomplete information because, you know, for the average Joe that was watching the thing, the two weeks after the fire, they killed more cattle than what, that, than what they were killing when that plant was on board. Um, and so a lot of people got really upset that you have all this excess capacity, but you're claiming there's a bottleneck and this and that and the other. But what they didn't know was, like Angie said, well, they were running uh, extra shifts. They were running on weekends. They were hiring more people. They were doing this, that, and the other, which way they normally didn't do. You know, there's kind of two sides of the of the story. You know, anytime there's a big shakeup in in any market, there's there's gonna there's gonna be some some blowback on whatever the processor does. So so, but prices went down, right? For for well, for they cattle. tanked. They tanked, yeah. right? And did did we ever get that back? Did it ever really recover? Yeah, it did, but it took uh, you know basically till January to really get back to where it was so, uh, so so we were we were kind of coming back all the way to january and and markets were trending upwards right things were looking pretty good yeah things were looking really strong you know especially in the in the nearby fat market they were looking really good the nearby feeder market was looking really good a little bit further out there was some softness uh you know the fundamentals were kind of aligning that uh you know the need for more beef was going to be pretty good. So what what happened? Well, obviously we all know that that we had COVID happen, uh, and everyone panicked. So what happened to the market, Angie, when when COVID hit? Well, we had a massive run to the grocery store for beef and toilet paper, apparently. And what yeah. that did is it just wiped the shelves. Of, uh, of beef. So there was a huge rush of ordering from retail from the packer to get that replenished for the consumer. Mind you, at the same time, restaurants, schools, that kind of thing are either shut down or on minimal with just takeout delivery. So there wasn't a huge demand for, you know, restaurant quality cuts at the same time. So the box beef price went through the roof. To the, to the retailer and the consumer, of course, paid a little bit more as well. But the live cattle on the hoof price was drove way down, way down. And the futures market as well was falling and there was no stopping it. It seemed like every day everything was limit down, limit down when it came to the futures. So the disparity between the box beef price and the live cattle price is what a lot of cattle producers are currently wanting answers for and demanding to know, you know, how can this happen? Not once, but now twice. So let's put some numbers on that. If you guys have the numbers, Eric, you probably have the numbers as far as what were Packers making during that period per head versus what were people selling cattle per head? Like what were they losing or making or staying even? How was that all working out? Well, <clears throat> so live cattle were selling for a little about a buck 20 ish um you know when things really started to go south and you know i don't really have any inside knowledge as to what packers were making but it, you know it was probably somewhere around 50 to 70 bucks a head i'm just 
I'm just guessing. Okay. Uh, this was before COVID, right? Before COVID? Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, then within a matter of weeks, well, maybe a month, you know, both the feeders and the fats lost about 30% of their value on the board. Okay. So on the, on the futures market. Now it was a little bit of a strange deal because on the feeders, the cash price did not immediately follow the futures market into the toilet. In fact, the cash market stayed pretty strong until about the middle of March. And then finally they kind of started to converge, especially as we got close to the end, you know, the end of the March contract. And live cattle have been much more erratic. When the futures started dropping, the the live prices dropped pretty significantly as well. And then they kind of bounced back and they, it seemed like uh, just from what I've seen, they've kind of, they kind of stayed in that, you know, the dollar nine to dollar 15 range for a while, even though, you know, the futures market had gone well below a dollar, you know, are those, are the, is the, the cash fats going to converge with the uh, futures um, more than it has. I, I don't really know what will happen there. I suspect probably not. Just the the value of box beef right now should add some strength, at least to the cash market. I'm suspecting, but you know who knows. Go ahead, Emma. All right. So, kind of related to that, and just thinking of supply and how that's impacting price and all these kinds of things. Um, you know, similarly on the dairy side, we saw this huge you know, disruption in the market and in the food supply chain and, and now recovering from that too. And, and I have heard that, um, you know, some, some beef producers are also kind of upset because right now the market's also getting flooded with dairy farmers calling cows for various reasons. Um, they're doing this, but do you see that that really, like, is it making as big of an impact as some people say it is? Um, or because I feel like, you know, cull cows have always been a factor um, in beef markets. So just curious what your thoughts were on that or what you've seen or heard. I'll let Angie start. Well, for a while there, there was a week where the, the cow price was actually very good. Very, very good. This was right when everything was kind of starting to clear the shelves of toilet paper. Because ground beef, of course, is the first thing that moms were buying in the grocery store because it's easy and relatively, you know, inexpensive. So there was a rush on cows actually for, for just that reason to replenish that. And then, like I said, after the mass panic went through with the buying of the, of all the extra meat and everybody settled down a little bit, there's been this bottleneck situation going on now. And there wasn't really a whole lot of cow sales going on the following week because of that. So if you had cows to sell, you really had a grand opportunity to get get a little money out of them before this. But it's such uncharted territory right now with nobody really being able to predict how it's going to go because it seems like nothing is like it's ever been before. So what you think is up is currently sideways. So it's hard to predict how these trends are moving. So, so Angie, I know you, you kind of started to say earlier and I could sense a little bit of your frustration with all of this. Why, on the, as a as a feedlot operator, as a as a feeder, why were you so upset with the current situation with with the disparity? Like, what 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 about it made you upset? 
Well, there, there was quite a gap in boxed beef versus cash price. When, when that did rocket through the roof to retailers, I actually had businesses calling me as asking, you know, how can, how can we change this disparity and why is, why is the boxed beef price up another how many dollars? But on our end, in the cattle were going down, anybody would wonder, gee, you, you put a quarter in the system and it comes out as a $50 bill. Why am I the only one that gets the quarter? You know, what's what's the problem with why am I not getting a part of the end product price? So that is that is the frustration is it seems to be the beginning or beginner producer into the system that is not getting the cut that is coming out at the end. And there's just gotta be some change to, to the whole system, I think, to get that straightened out and going in the right direction. It's 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 always kind of been there, but this is kind of just flared the fire per se of the problem and more people are aware of it, I guess, because it's been talked about at length in many, many circles now. Yeah, it, it, to me, I think it the big frustration that I see is that normal laws of supply and demand don't seem to apply, right? So the right. demand is high, the supply is there, and the price is there at the end, but it hasn't trickled back. To anybody who's producing the live cattle. So I think that, that's huge. And I think p- part of it comes into the futures market, right? Because because that tanking and how that futures market price is determined plays a big part in it. And I know, Eric, we had kind of talked about it uh, in a different Zoom meeting, since we're all having these Zoom meetings lately, about how is that futures market really determined? Why is it not influenced by current cash market? It's mostly witchcraft and sorcery. The futures market is, in my mind, inherently flawed. Because on any contract, you've got buyers and sellers on both sides of the contract. If you want to buy into the contract, you've got to have a seller on the opposite side. Okay. Well, what happens in these these big runs on the futures market is you've got everybody that wants to sell but there's nobody on the buy side. And what that does is if there's nobody on the buy side, then people get stuck in these sell positions and that accelerates the drive to the bottom, which is why we always see, you know, whenever there's a sell off, it goes, the line goes straight down. And then as it recovers, it's more of a flat uh, increase. It's because, you know, when there's panic in the market, you got to look at, okay, well, who are the sellers on the futures market? Okay, well, it's largely, in the normal market, it's largely producers, right? And, and not necessarily farmers and ranchers, but just anybody who has cattle to sell, whoever that is. Okay, the people on the buy side are going to be some producers that are hedging, having to buy uh that uh product but a lot of it is institutional investors and so what happens is is when when there's a panic in the market all of the institutional investors immediately jump out now they don't necessarily convert over to the sell side they're just out and so now you have nobody in a long position and so the short positions can't get out of their position and so the market just falls like a rock that that makes that makes sense i i it's it's so complicated this whole process i'm convinced that people that 
know how to hedge and know how to hedge well, regardless of what commodity you're using, are uh, infinitely more smart than I am because I've never been able to figure it out entirely. I have likened it to before to uh, being taught how to gamble, pretty much. With yeah, yeah. Learning how to hedge is basically learning how to learning how to professionally gamble. Can you operate the craps table or not? <laughs> yeah, I I think. I think you guys have, have kind of put a good frame around why people are upset and what what's going on. What what I always like to do in a situation like this to see, to kind of check myself, is to talk about the other side of the coin, right? What's happening with the Packer? What challenges are happening there that could also explain some of what's going on or how things are working? So, Angie, do you have any insight into that are there are there challenges that the packers facing right now that could could maybe explain this bottleneck and give us give us some answers from their end well yeah I, and i kind of alluded to that before with you know labor has always been an issue with the packing industry even before the covid virus has arrived if you tour any packing plant and ask them what their turnover rate is you would be astonished at the number that they give you i i, I was very surprised myself so obviously labor is a huge issue right now if you think about it look at look at the illness that they're having go through i just seen pennsylvania is shutting down their packing plants because of the illness uh, locally sioux falls which is a pork producing not beef producing plant they're shutting down now because they had 80 workers came in with with covid that they know of which obviously could be much higher so we have to really look at from that standpoint that they just aren't having the manpower to process these cattle. The cattle are there and that's not the problem. There's plenty of cattle that need to be processed, but it's just the labor part of it to get it done currently is what the issue was. And last week after the huge rush on the retail side, there was no retail orders. I mean, everybody's was full, you know what I mean? So they really didn't have anywhere to go with it either. Mind you, they have a large cold storage situation. I'm sure they could funnel some out too. But I think the biggest thing right now is is the labor workforce. If it's not an illness, there's also some union trying to get their workers a little bit of more money out of this deal and, and uh, trying to, you know, organize that a little bit, which makes things a little hairy too. But I think it's going to come down to to just plain old labor and being able to keep the doors open when it comes to the packing industry right now. Yeah, and I think that's an issue in in a lot of different industries. I don't know if Brad has seen anything like that on the on the dairy side yet. Have we have you really seen any labor issues yet? Not not really. Not not that we've heard of anyways. Okay. Well, that, that I mean, I'm sure it's something that we all need to be prepared for clearly causing an issue on the packing side. So so now we're going to look big picture. I mean, big picture. The this whole system we can't just throw it out, right? We're kind of stuck with some pieces of it, right? It, it, you can't just, that's not thats not just not how our country works, how our, our system works. You can't just throw the whole thing out and start over. And we'll start with Eric. Do you guys have potential solutions to our current system? Is there, is there something that you can think of that would, that would solve this? Or is it just so complex that we don't really know? Well, it's not really that complex, but you've got two things that set price that have nothing to do with each other. Okay. You've got perception and you've got reality and the futures market is the perception and the cash price is the reality. So how do you, 
how, how do you get those two things to align? You don't. Could be some possibilities of requiring futures to be corrected with by the cash market. I think uh, electronic trading of futures is always created humongous problems ever since it started, and I think it needs to be abolished. That's fine in the stock market. That is not okay in the commodities market. But but largely those are band aids. I, I mean, there, there's it's difficult in my mind to see even why, you know, well, let's just, let's just stick with cattle. Why, why cattle would be traded on the board? You know, we'd be much better served with some type of price insurance program rather than, you know, this, this nonsense that happens on, on the board of trade, because that doesn't really serve anybody except the institutional investors. Right. So, so something more like having an insurance program like we see on the dairy side is kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, we had the beef, beef has a small insurance program through RMA. Um, It's totally inadequate and not practical for larger producers, but some smaller producers can take advantage of it. And it's modeled more off of like crop insurance. Okay. And I'm not saying it's a good system or that's the system that we should use, but some type of price insurance system would be much more useful than, you know, try, trying, you know, for, for people on the production side. I mean, I've been using hedging and options for years and it it's a crapshoot whether it really helps you all that much or not. I mean, if there's a catastrophe, you know, it's definitely worth it. You know, there's some real fallacies in the system too. You know, the other thing is, if if we maintain our current system with the futures market, then maybe we need some type of basis insurance program or something like that. You know, that's where a lot of people get burned is on the basis, and and so you know, there there are some remedies that could help, but they're all really just band aids compared to the the root of the of the issue, in my opinion. Um, thank you, Eric. I know that that's a big question to ask you. So it's your turn, Angie. Do you have anything for us on the solution side? Um, well, let me see. If I had a magic wand and was queen for a day, I'd like to see some more cash negotiated trade with our market. Pretty much up here in the northern area, we're about the only cash negotiated trade. The further south you go, the less you get. A lot of the southern cattle are our contract formula grid cattle. And they base basically what they're getting off of what we're getting. My feeling is, is we can get some more negotiated cash trade. We could definitely leverage ourselves a little better, but, but how do you do that? Some producers think, Hey, you know, we could, we could do this by ourselves. Some people want the government to step in and, and help us out. But how many people like it when the government says, Hey, I'm here to help you. Cause you know, sometimes, their help is worse than the problem that you currently have. So there's quite a few ideas that have been floating around on how to get this cash trade worked up. One of them is through the mandatory price reporting that we currently have in place already. And they're looking at trying to uh, use that tool to prove that they're buying a certain percentage of the cattle cash trade. And I think the number that I've heard floating around is 30% they'd like to see, and then they would have to report it that way. Um, You could do it pretty easily. You know, all those, all those steps are already in place as far as um, the packer having to report those things. 
and I guess we also just need to focus on demand. Get the word out that U.S. beef is the best there is, and uh, trade foreign and domestic. Hands down, we have the best beef in the world, and people want it. So let's get it out there and get it to the people. Yeah, I think I think we I think we recognized before all of this hit that 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 export markets are a huge opportunity, and it's only become more and more apparent that U.S. beef is the best beef in the world, especially with how efficiently we produce it. Uh, and when we talk about sustainability, the environment, land stewardship, all those things, there's no one that does it better than, than us. So I think as this all blows over and we try to get out of this, I hope some of these get, things get fixed and we don't just you know pass them by and then wait for this to happen again. So hopefully people can stay on it. I hope today everyone got something out of this episode. Very sensitive subject for a lot of you out there. And uh, I think we addressed it well and everyone managed to stay fairly calm and not too emotional about everything. So I appreciate everybody out there listening. Thank you again to Eric Mosel and Angie Ford for being here. Really appreciate their time. We're going to wrap it there because uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys are sick of listening to me rattle on. So if you need more information, need something to reference, go to extension.umn.edu. If you have questions for us, comments, things you want to hear, email them to the room at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week. Oh, I really wanted to say Murica. <laughs> <laughs>